Selamat datang semuanya. I'm Alan Hallowell, and this is Indotechno. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 6 of the Indotechno Podcast. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic, as we know, has irrevocably altered much of our day-to-day lives, from where we work to how we consume information. It, for instance, has helped drive a revival in the growth of the global ebook market to $24 billion U.S. dollars last year. Asia's ebook market alone is roughly $5.4 billion U.S. dollars. And Southeast Asia, we estimate, comprises at least $825 million U.S. dollars in revenues, supported by no less than 23 million readers in the region. Now, leading players in the Indonesian ebook market, such as Karya Karsa, are capturing yearly growth rates of what we estimate to be between 50 and 100% year-on-year. We're thus extremely pleased to invite on to the Indotechno podcast, Ario Tamat, CEO of Karya Karsa. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. First of all, I fear that there are some in the audience who probably don't know exactly how the platform works. Can you tell us exactly how Karya Karsa works? Sure. Just to keep it simple, imagine a blog platform like WordPress or Blogger, but you could put a price on each post. And that's practically it. We're a self-publishing platform, which not only can be used by writers, but actually all sorts of creators, audio, video, comics, photographs, even selling files. But we have found that the majority of creators that have found use for our platform are writers, actually. Got you. And I guess my next question is, why exactly did you create the Karya Karsa platform? Well, initially, it was to answer a problem that I had myself, because I'm a musician, but I've never been able to make money as a musician. And after my failed startup back in 2012, I started to dig into what actual problems are there in the music industry. And it wasn't that the industry needed yet another delivery system for music, but the problem was musicians weren't making enough money. Most of these musicians, even the popular ones, have day jobs or they have side business and stuff like that. Why not make a platform where fans could give money directly to their favorite creators in return for them continuing to create their favorite work? Understood. We'll have to take offline a discussion of who are the best bass players. I think that's your instrument, whether it's Getty Lee of Rush or John Entwistle or John Paul Jones. Paul Gilbert, sorry. Uh, but that is probably for another episode. Paul Gilbert and Mark King. All right. We'll have to agree to okay. disagree. Excellent. Now, Ario, who are your co-founders? And tell us where the inspiration came from. We have a team of three co-founders. One is Aria. He's unfortunately passed away earlier this year. He's an old friend. We were friends during our previous startups. He's my sports buddy, basketball, cycling, even ping pong. And Pribadi, uh, who we call Pipu, is an old Twitter friend. The three of us were basically the earlier generation of Twitter users in Indonesia. So we know each other from back then. Ten years later, we started a company together. Got you. I guess I was never able to reach out to share with you my condolences about Arya's passing. I hope that all is well on that front. Now, tell us about the evolution of the platform since its MVP or minimum viable product. Actually, the 
MVP was launched in June 2019. It was a simple page where this is Karya Karsa. Creators can get money from their fans. If you like this concept, please give us money. And that's basically it. It is a website connected to Midtrans, so it could enable GoPay payments. And apparently, people agreed enough with our concept to give us money. We got a 7% conversion rate from visitors to transactions. So, okay, there's something happening here because in our experience, Kia Commerce would probably get 1%, 2% conversion rate, right? We built out the first version of the platform and launched it in October 2019 with 100 selected creators out of 400 that applied to use the platform. And now we have 240,000 creators. And basically the DNA of that MVP still is on our platform today because it still works, basically. Wow, impressive scale. Now, I feel we don't exactly have this model in the West. We obviously can purchase a book through Kindle Online or subscribe to a digital literary journal or newspaper, but I don't think weekly serialized stories are particularly big businesses in the U.S. and Europe, for instance. Tell us where the inspiration came from. Would it have been China with Chidiad? Where did some of the thinking come from? To be honest, it wasn't us who came up with it. We just made a platform for all creators. And at some point, we saw that writers were posting chapters of the story every week on the platform. And they were getting money out of this. So we studied the segment a bit more. And we learned that a lot of these writers already have audiences on Wattpad, similar to how an influencer would have an audience on Instagram, then they would monetize it elsewhere. This is the same thing that's happening here. So yes, this weekly serialized model is pioneered by Kidian and Wattpad, but we didn't purposely go towards this direction. We found out that this is a model that works for a small sample of creators and we doubled down. And that's how we've been continuing ever since. 91% of unit sales now is for chapters of stories. Fascinating. So you've already addressed this a bit, but what exactly is our business model? Basically, a writer would upload a chapter or a section of a story onto Karekarsa. They would put their own price on it. And for every sale, we take 10%. And that's pretty much it. Understood. Now, if we look at the other side of the coin, I would say it really does not seem as though Indonesia has a very strong tradition of paying for digital content. Years ago, the Netflix analogs such as iFlix and Hook, for instance, had not seen much success. And analogously, in the enterprise realm, the software as a service subscription model has also struggled. What leads us to believe that we can monetize serialized content in Indonesia? Before I started in startups, I used to work for a music label and we were monetizing digital content then, but it was through premium SMS, ringback tones, if you remember, ringtones, wallpapers, and people were willing to buy. The point was the content was something that they wanted. It, it has to be right, right content and had to be at the right price. What we found is that serialized content works better than selling eBooks is because it's at the right price. So it's more akin to buying shampoo per sachet rather than the whole bottle, which actually is similar to spending habits of other products for consumers in Indonesia, like the sachet of shampoo or even buying the cigarette per cigarette, not the pack and so on. It's more to the habit, not exactly Indonesians want to pay for content or not. 
And we've also found that serialized content works well because people want to know what's going on with their favorite characters and with their favorite stories. It may not work for news, for instance, but we definitely see it work for stories. Wow. Ringtones and ringback. That takes me way back to, I think, the pre-smartphone era. And indeed, some of the very first forms of digital content monetization in markets like China were ringtones. So just coming back to Karyakar, so we claim, I think, a roughly 52% visit to purchase conversion rate and an amazing six times per month average purchase rate. I frankly don't think we see such strong behaviors in most other parts of the world. Am I missing other examples that prove our case? how hungry people are for this content? I think the problem is if we look for comparables in this context, there's not really a site that is similar to us where we're selling content pay-as-you-go because let's say in Europe or the US, most content services would be subscription and you couldn't measure this binge behavior but if the streaming service were to open their data, you would see this binge behavior happen and you'd get this frequent visit because the only difference is people are paying subscription, not pay as you go. But the reason that people want to return to a site, return to content is because they're hooked on a certain content. And that's one of the things that works across all kinds of content platforms. The content needs to be good. The difference between Karyakarsa and other types of platforms is the content is sold per portion, per section, and it's not all you can eat model, which we think is model that is more suitable for Indonesians and most probably Southeast Asians who are more budget conscious. They don't necessarily not have the money, but they need to be more in control of what they spend on. That's really fascinating. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that also may explain why Variants of this model saw incredible traction in China as it was transitioning from lots of stuff getting pirated to more of a willingness to pay for intellectual property. So that now makes much more sense to me. Now, Ario, do you know what the consumption metrics in other markets such as China or Germany and Canada might be? And if you know them, what do you think that says about Indonesia's potential? I don't have direct numbers on those markets, but we know that even for Karyakarsa, we're still a very small company. We already have traffic coming in from various countries, Japan, US, Malaysia, that are using the platform. Similar online novel platforms are popular in the US and Ireland, in the Latin America countries. Usually it's localized in the language that can be consumed in those countries. But the usage is pretty high. We see similar platforms like us monetize to the millions of dollars a month by selling these per chapter stories. And it's usually by an in-app coin, which you buy in the app and you use the coin to open up chapters as you go along with the story. The market's pretty big. We calculate there are at least 152-ish online novel platforms across the globe. And that's the ones I could find. And the majority of them are actually not VC funded, which is interesting because the market is so big. Very interesting. So you've addressed this in bits and bats. You've shared with us some of the distinct elements of our offering and our business model. But I wanted to dig a little deeper. How are we, if you will, built differently compared to these comps? The majority of these apps 
are using the same model they've been using for at least 10 years, which is they're basically a media company. They put out ads to drive traffic to the app, to the site, and they make money from a recharge between the traffic and placing ads like Google ads or even native ads on that. And to make sure they have a lot of content, they basically pay writers to upload content there. It's a quota model. So it's like a factory. The writers are treated like labor. Write 30,000 words, you get 30 bucks, something like that. So it's pretty sad. But since there was no alternative model and some people would like to make money off the internet easily, there are a lot of people that want to go into this model. We are not that model. We pay our creators 90% of whatever proceeds they gain because they become the business person. They are the ones who are responsible for promoting their content and they retain the rights for their IP. Most of these other platforms lock in the IP for 70 years even. The writers actually cannot do anything once they write on the platform. They're locked into the platform as well. There's a big difference for the creators, although it's probably not much different for the readers. Okay. So let's say I'm an author on the Kadia Patterson platform. Can you give me a range of scenarios, how much I would make on average? On average, across the board, a creator would be making 1.5 million rupiah, which is around $100 a month. But a mid-range creator could get up to $300 a month. And the top writers could get around 40 to 50 million rupiah a month, which is around $3,000 a month. So it's pretty lucrative to become a writer on Karekarsa. I should become a writer. That's fascinating. Now, it seems as though with other media platforms that share revenues, you have the absolute monsters, the names uh, Mr. Beast in the U.S., who must make at least tens of millions a year, I don't know. And then obviously there's got to be much lower rungs on the platform of people who make very little and are maybe just doing it in a hobbyist capacity. What do you envision being the distribution of revenue generation? Is it going to be a pyramid where there's a very select few that really make a solid living and then others are either forced to make it a second or third source of income, or is it going to be more evenly distributed? Any thoughts? Well, ideally we would be more evenly distributed, but the thing is the quality and the audience draw of these stories vary from creator to creator. I think despite my misgivings, Pareto principle still applies. The big writers will still draw the biggest audience and will still draw the biggest revenue. But it remains true that with them making money, they will draw other writers to the platform to make enough money. We don't need all these writers to become big stars. We need enough people to make a living on the platform, and that's good enough for us. And it could be a part-time job for some because we have one of our top writers. She still does writing part-time, although she obviously makes much more money on Karagasa than her day job. It's choice, of course, for some, but we do see that people can make at least minimum wage on Karekarsa, which is something because notoriously creative works, a lot of people, even like me, we can't make money from our creative work. Understood. Now, I assume the platform supports various types of content, not just literature. If I may ask, what percent of our platform GMV or gross merchandise value, that's how you measure it, 
what percent would be writers and what might be the second, third, and fourth largest types of content? Just to give you a bigger picture, more than 50% of our creators are writers. So 50% is like everyone else. We have 15 types of categories, which I won't go into. But these 50% writers do make up to 80 to 81% of our GMV. So 20% is everyone else. And this 20% consists of photographers, usually selling Lightroom presets. There are some comic creators. There are some audio creators. There are some educational content creators. And it's usually more niche content rather than stuff you would find on Udemy and stuff like that. But these are the categories that make up the rest of the 20%. They can still use the platform but because it still functions as it does the past four years, but we're just focusing on writers. Understood. I wanted to ask you, Adio, what are the toughest problems to solve in building Karya Karsa to our current scale? Was it finding the right price point? I can imagine there are any number of challenges, but what was the most prominent problem you had to solve to achieve the breakthrough in growth and adoption? In the early days, it was something new and nobody actually knew how much money they could make on Karya Karsa. And these were the questions that people would ask me. If I go on Karsa, how much money would I make? And I couldn't answer that. We did a lot of experiments. We did a lot of content marketing around the creators that did do well by promoting themselves. That was part establishing the trust of the creators. So we focused on making sure the creators were comfortable with the platform first, and we had good supply of content to offer. Now we have a significant supply of content. We have 35,000 titles of stories out of hundreds of thousands of single posts. We are now focusing on increasing the amount of users that come in and purchase this content. Instead of worrying about the chicken and an egg, we worried about the supply first and making sure the supply was there. Then we go to demand because once we have supply, it's relatively easier for us to get demand because the supply would be there. There's already social proof that the content works because we put the numbers there, how many transactions, how many followers, that sort of stuff. And the higher the number would make it easier for new users to come in. Okay, this must be a good story because it's got so many transactions. Understood. I would love it if you could tell us some fun facts and figures about maybe what is popular on Karya Karsa. Is there, for instance, anything that we might regard as truly a uniquely Indonesian consumption habit? I think the pay-as-you-go model is not unique, although it's prevalent in Indonesia. We think it'll work in most Southeast Asian countries. So it's not unique. And also the genres. The genres are romance and horror, which apparently are genres that are popular across Southeast Asia as well. So it's not unique. But we do see, interestingly, there are not enough local language stuff. So in Javanese, Sundanese and stuff like that. Because we have a similar company in India. They've grown from having stories in the various ethnic languages there. We don't see it happening here. So almost everything is in Bahasa Indonesia, despite the variety of languages across the country. So yeah, on a tangent of that, we do think this would work well in other countries in Southeast Asia. You have thrown out some very interesting numbers. Can you tell us a little more about the scale we have today, maybe in terms of creators, readers, monthly GMV, and what our targets might be for the end of next year, 2024? 
We currently have more than 240,000 creators, 50% of them writers, and our current user base is 1.8 million registered users. We're averaging around 500,000 transactions a month, and our GMV is in the high 300,000 US dollars per month. You can calculate our revenue from there since we, it's a 10% take rate. So we're aiming to at least 1.5 or 2x that revenue by December 2024. 2024 is an interesting year for Indonesia, so we don't think we can get higher than that because the election and stuff like that. But that's basically our target. And we believe it's achievable within Indonesia because the market is so big. Uh, it's basically everyone with a smartphone can read stuff on Karyakarsa. Oh, just one more thing. We're going to be hitting a total of 10 million transactions within the next few days. Congratulations on that. Wow. Now, you mentioned in passing that you feel that there might be additional international opportunities. Are there any specific markets in which you've either done trials or you have other reason to believe that uptake of this service would be robust? We already have customers coming in from Malaysia because Malaysian consumers do consume content in Bahasa Indonesia. So we do believe this model would work in Malaysia as well. So we have explored in creating presence there where we acquire local creators also. So we have content in Bahasa Melayu, probably English as well. But the next would be Philippines because Philippines is actually the number two market for Wattpad. And from my research, there is nothing like Karyakarsa in Philippines currently. And how Wattpad writers in Philippines make money is usually they sell their rights to become telenovelas or soap operas. An additional way for writers to make money in that market would make a lot of sense. And it wouldn't even disrupt a Wattpad because Wattpad becomes our funnel for free content to paid users on our platform. We're happy to coexist with them there and monetize their users. <laughs> so uh, I guess the same would apply to several other Southeast Asian countries. Our earlier thesis that such an economy model works on content, it's based on the amount of prepaid numbers compared to postpaid numbers in the market. So obviously, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand is similar to Indonesia in that respect, so even Malaysia. So we do believe this approach to pay-as-you-go content, fast-moving consumer media, as we like to call it, would work in those countries as well. Cool. I, I have not heard that term coined, fast-moving consumer media. Now, when you say prepaid and postpaid, that's telco language, right? I have a, a prepaid plan with telco operator A or B, correct? Yeah, the telco language, because uh, in my previous life, I uh, worked a lot with telco. Gotcha. So very interesting discussion of similar consumption behaviors in the region. That sounds quite promising. Any kind of future expansion you're thinking about. Now, Adio, I asked you about toughest problems in the past. I wanted to finish up by asking you, what's the toughest problem you and your co-founders are currently trying to solve? That's a great question. A lot of startup founders would understand that once you have that first growth machine, then you push to make sure it grows as fast as possible. But there's always going to be a time where that S-curve plateaus. So right now, what we're doing is we're doing a lot of experiments to find our next S-curve. It could be with 
uh, new products. We're experimenting with audiobooks. It could be with new types of business that we're experimenting. It could be even with expansion to other countries. It could be even with partnership with a bigger media company uh, that can seed us into more households, into more phones. We're at that stage where we want to build our next S-curve. We have good growth now. It's not going as fast as it previously is. I'm being very honest about it. But we're in a good place where we can bide our time and make sure we do a lot of experiments to do that next S-curve because we're a bit positive. So it's a good place to be in these years. Absolutely. Audio, it's been super fascinating to hear of the rise of a revenue generating content enabling platform in Indonesia, both one as an affirmation that Indonesians are indeed willing to pay for online content. And that is a behavior which I frankly, I have to admit, I've been dubious about. But two, as a potential catalyst for the long-term growth of Indonesia's own creator economy. I couldn't believe this when I read it, but I've since read it a few times. But the magnitudes coming out of China are pretty eye-popping. According to the National Bureau of Statistics of China, the size of that country's creator economy will reach $1 trillion by 2025. I don't know what they're measuring, but even if it's a tiny fraction of that, that is a very meaningful piece of revenues. So thank you so much. We hope that you guys indeed rise to capture an ever-growing part of online digital consumption. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi.